Hey friends, M. Faring here. I am so glad you're joining me as we journey through the pages of God's Word, looking for the big picture story, digging deep in study, and discovering how all of this applies to our lives. Most importantly, I hope we're able to see how Jesus is found throughout it all, plus learn more about God's character and love for us along the way. Let's open our Bibles together, one chapter at a time. Okay, friends, let's begin. Hey there, OOBTers. Before we get started today, I must just come right out and say that this episode is coming to all of you from a place of deep heartbreak, loss, and grief mixed together with a whole lot of thankfulness and gratitude. Both and, for sure. Joy and pain, hard and good. The tension of both that seems to always exist in our lives in one form or another this side of heaven. All of you may or may not have heard, but my family is still reeling following the recent loss of my dad suddenly and unexpectedly at work. This very recent loss of my dad has me fighting to be thankful in this season, with his death two weeks ago and his funeral just one week to the day before Thanksgiving Day. Back to back to back Thursdays. So much heartbreak, so much confusion, so much of all the things I truly don't even have words for, and yet underneath all the heartache and pain, I also feel a deep sense of thankfulness for getting to be a part of my dad's life, for his example, for his love, for him choosing me many, many years ago. I will share in the show notes a Facebook post I wrote in his honor, expressing just how much he meant to me specifically, along with so many others as well. In all honesty, it would be better for me to have you read it on your own because I am 99.9% certain that I would not make it through without choking up and then struggling to read through tears. Actually, I am not certain I'll be able to make it through today's episode without some tears, but I am feeling the weight, importance, and urgency even in sharing the words I'm about to speak into this mic to record for you And so for these reasons, I'm going to try to push through anyway. With that said, let's begin with this, my friends. My thankfulness for my dad runs so very deep. And truthfully, OOBT exists and recently celebrated a one-year anniversary, in part due to his and my mom's belief in my seemingly crazy God-sized dreams. I clearly remember the day my parents were down for a visit and were sitting in our living room in Attica listening to me go on about all God had put on my heart in starting a Bible study podcast and my need for a website to go along with it to house show notes and other information about the show itself. Never one for technology, I can still see my dad lean over to my mom with a twinkle in his eye and hear him say to her, Well, Mom, it sounds like we're helping her start a podcast and a website, aren't we? I am fairly certain he never did go to the mfaring.com website or the podcast even without my sister's help in getting there. But what I do know is that he never seemed to miss a moment to show up and support any of us in pursuing our dreams, no matter how crazy they may have seemed. I am also thankful for our first-ever FaceTime call with our F7 family the weekend before he died, mere days before he would be gone. I can still hear his laughter with the kids, his bad dad jokes, always with the bad dad jokes. What is it with dads in those jokes? All the time. Oh my. As you can hear in my words, I truly am trying to find a way to fight for thankfulness this Thanksgiving, to be aggressively grateful, to remember that thankfulness is spiritual warfare. Many thoughts are once again flooding my mind as I remember things I had previously mentioned in one of the Advent episodes of OOBT last year. I heard Jess Conley share these words about thankfulness that I still refer back to in my journal pages often. She said, Thankfulness is not weak and wimpy. It is not nostalgic and polite. Thankfulness is intentional warfare against the idea that God is not enough for us. Thankfulness is worshipful warfare against the idea that we need more. Thankfulness is a weapon of worship 
that we've been given to defeat the darkness around us. I get aggressively grateful for what God has done, is doing, and has promised to do in my life, right where I'm at. Wow. Just wow. How can you do the same and fight for thankfulness in your own lives, friend? Or maybe you're having no trouble with counting all the things you're thankful for at your life in this very moment. Can I just say aloud that both are okay? There is no sense in trying to hide what is in our hearts because our loving Father in Heaven already knows about it all anyway, right? We seem to live in that tension of always having joy and pain in our lives at the same time, often in varying degrees of more joy or more pain, but all the same, both are present. Right now, I find myself fighting for thankful as I grieve the loss of my dad, but in the same breath, I am so truly thankful for the example of a life well lived, one in which he chose to love others in a meaningful way. The tension, joy and pain, hard and good, gratitude and grief. Real life. Real, real life, for sure. It reminds me of the many OOBT episodes of our studies in the book of Job, and then the bonus episode in which we pulled threads God was showing us throughout. Can I just say that it seems to be fitting, and even a bit of preparation of sorts, that God had me and my family and all of you listeners studying Job's example of suffering well, and then the hard good, good hard life, through these OOBT podcast episodes. He certainly is a God of details and does not waste a thing, my friends. Is any of this sounding at all familiar to you? I hope so. But if not, please be sure to go to the show notes to find links to some previous OOBT episodes discussing these tensions. Actually, as I'm feeling the weight of wrestling with grief and gratitude, I decided to pull the hard good book we studied in the extended bonus episode off my bookshelf again, and sure enough, it did not disappoint. Listen to these thoughts I came across while reading from chapter 6 titled, Making Peace with Life When It's Brought Loss. My friend Beth will never look forward to pumpkin spice latte season in a way a lot of us do. Like most high school friends, Beth and I went our separate way upon graduation, but kept in touch periodically. I went to college and seminary, married, and moved to the Carolinas, while she remained in our hometown, eventually marrying Mike and having two kids. We actually went further back than high school. We'd met in the sixth grade when our family rolled into Springfield, Missouri in yet another packed U-Haul for my father to take yet another pastorate. She was one of my first friends at our small Christian school, and 30 years later, she is one of my only remaining from this school. Like attracts like, and though we sometimes butted heads, Beth and I got each other. Fiery and fun-loving, neither of us minded sharing our opinions. We dated the same boys, sometimes unbeknownst to us at the same time. Shame on him. We were cheerleaders together, and I stood at a bridesmaid in her wedding. Beth's father was a preacher like mine, so we had that in common, too. Bill was a character, and I remember him and his easy laugh. There was another thing Beth and I shared. She and her dad were incredibly close. She had related to and looked up to her father just as I related to my dad. So in the fall of 2002, when someone we both knew from Springfield told me Beth's dad had died in a plane crash, my heart broke for my friend. I knew she would be devastated, and she was, understandably. Bill, a man with such zest for life, gone much too soon. Little did Beth know this would not be her last heartbreaking loss. Fast forward 16 years. My phone rang while I was in Nashville preparing for a meeting with a publisher. From across the miles, a mutual high school friend told me something that sent my knees to the carpet of my hotel room. Two days prior, Beth's beloved 24-year-old son Justin had been killed in an accident on opening day of hunting season, one of his favorite days of the year. I was in disbelief. Immediately I called Beth, once again under excruciating circumstances. This conversation was different, heavier than the one I'd had with her after the loss of her dad years earlier. 
riddled with tears, shock, and heartbreak. How could my friend have now lost two of the men she loved most? I wouldn't have dared write this chapter without Beth. I told her that when I called to ask if she'd consider helping me write it, knowing grief and loss deserved a place in this book. I honestly didn't know if she would say yes, but I learned a long time ago not to come into a tender space as an expert about something with which you have only limited experience. When you do not know the depth of a place, ask someone who does. Listen and take very good notes. I am so glad Beth said yes. As I was poring over the written notes Beth provided for this chapter, some details emerged that were new to me. Both Beth's father and son died in the autumn. Suddenly, I realized she would forever associate heartache and loss with a season that had long been my favorite. One that is filled with porch pumpkins, mums, and apple cinnamon scented candles. A stark reminder that even as some of us feel joy and elation, others feel sorrow at the same time. A daily human picture of holding hard and good. My friend has known the depth of life that has brought loss. Her toughest mission since has been one that those who face loss well understand, to make peace with a life that has gone rogue. Remaining here when the person you love is gone, putting one foot in front of the other. But it's not just that. It's continuing to go on living in a different way, a way that isn't physical. Not becoming another casualty in the wake of enormous loss is quite a fear. How does one not drown in the ferocious waves of grief? Can giving everything you've emotionally got to keep going ever be enough to make life livable, let alone good? These questions are much harder off the paper. I know that I don't know Beth's kind of loss, and I think that's wise to acknowledge. This may sound contradictory to when I've said in an earlier chapter not to rate pain, but in this case, it's not about rating. It's about acknowledging the differences. Beth helped walk me through these differences in one of our candid conversations not long ago by sharing wisdom from Gerald Seister's book, A Grace Disguised. The loss of a parent, Beth explained, is the loss of our past. The loss of a spouse is the loss of our present. And the loss of a child is the loss of our future. No wonder parents who have lost a child groan in a way that shakes the earth. Beth told me her prayers two years out are often groanings. I can only imagine that the pain of a future without part of yourself would be like living with one foot in the grave. Abnormal, ongoing agony. As Beth said, you learn to live life without a limb that was cut off, but life is never normal. Someone is reading along and nodding. Tears may be falling out of your eyes because you know this pain all too well. You may have a story similar to Beth's, so you join in her particular groanings. You share a bond with kindreds who have had children go to heaven, whose deaths you would wish away, pray away, and get rid of as fast as you could if it were in your power. In your darkest nighttime fears, this was always the club you most dreaded winding up in. I just want you to know that every word of this part of the chapter is written with you in mind, knowing I don't know this depth of pain, but deeply desire to respect it. While I was at the funeral home making arrangements for Dad's burial, I got a text from a friend wanting to go to lunch. I'd love to carry on with eating, but, I thought but didn't say, I'm picking out my dead father's casket right now. Sometimes people just don't know. They can't. Even those who have journeyed through their own losses don't know yours. Loss of a spouse. Loss of a parent. Loss of anyone we love hurts more than the best written words could ever express. Trying to put sorrow into sentences is trite. I know only what Beth and other honest friends who have dealt with deep grief have told me and my own experiences with the loss of my dad. Relief remains a struggle. The words new normal become a dreaded catchphrase. Grief is like a fingerprint, uniquely yours. Others can't know how that person smelled to you, know your private jokes, or remember what you miss the most. That private head-heart space belongs to you and God. Friends can't know how you need to cry and process, what words will help, 
and that none do, really, or whether you need them to stay away or come close. No one can reduce a human heart to a manual on how to go on without a part of us, so I won't try to write one. Instead, I will let Beth, who knows this particular groaning, speak into this from her heart and from her perspective. I am so grateful for her words. Grief and joy can exist at the same space. This is difficult to deal with at first. Your heart has grieved for so long that it feels disingenuous to be excited or happy about something. Our first granddaughter was born in June of 2020. Collins has been the rainbow after the storm. The damage from the storm still exists, but God's blessings peek through. When life brings you loss, there is no way to pull yourself up. You can't rise to the occasion. Therefore, it is crucial to have a life built on a firm foundation. The peace that comes in the things we remember about God's faithfulness. I hold on tightly to this. There is more to life than is here on earth. I don't think I could have persevered without the belief that nothing is wasted. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Loss has changed me. It's not that I was unapproachable, but it has shown me how to be human. The death of my father taught me that it is okay to ask God why. The death of my son Justin tested my ability to stand on my own two feet. I can't. Candidly, I honestly would have bypassed all this grief, loss, and heartache. There is a set of people who say that all this happened so that God could use it. I don't see it that way. I believe Scripture teaches that God wants to use us and our lives to show others His power. My last two thoughts would be these two scriptures. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 17 and 18. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Romans chapter 8 verse 28. To get to verse 28, you have to read and understand Romans chapter 8 verses 18 through 27. In a sin-cursed world, God is working in our sufferings, verse 18, the groanings of all creation, verse 22, and our weakness, verse 26, together for His ultimate good. Verse 28 does not promise everything to be good, but with God, good comes from it. The 1,700 people who attended Justin's funeral, the players, team, families, coaches, and school administration we've had interactions with since, that is my desire, that even in my weakness, others will be pointed to Christ. That is the only way I can continue. Oh, my heart. I hadn't really noticed when I read the chapter the first time through the amount the subject of grief for the loss of a father was covered. But you can be certain this reading of those words had my full attention, that I literally felt the weight of what was being said in those pages. So much hard and so much goodness. Truth to hold on to from those who have won hard-fought battles to share what they are learning through the grieving process. Truthfully, words from those who will probably, like all of us, continue to fight these battles of trying to make peace with life when it's brought loss for the rest of our lives this side of heaven. Goodness gracious, that's a lot to process, am I right? As a way of moving on from here, this episode is scheduled to not only release the day before we celebrate Thanksgiving, but also just a few days before the first Sunday of Advent, this Sunday, November 27th. With this in mind, I want to be sure that we all avoid passing over Thanksgiving by jumping straight to Advent, to Christmas. So how do we settle into a season of gratitude and thankfulness to give tomorrow's celebration of Thanksgiving its due honor, while also recognizing that this coming Sunday is the official start of Advent? This in-between is sometimes referred to as Thanksmas. Time is flying by for sure, but I am hopeful that each one of us finds moments to be thankful and grateful during the Thanksgiving holiday, and that our thankfulness carries on into the Advent season as well. 
even through the heartache of these last few weeks have brought, I love how this season reminds us to give thanks to God for everything He's done for us and given to us, not only tomorrow, but every day that follows. With that concept in mind, let's talk about some questions and practical ways we can develop a gratitude practice in our lives. I spoke earlier of Jess Connolly's take on thankfulness, and I would now also encourage you to be sure to go to the show notes for a recent episode of the Go and Tell Gals podcast in which she and her team talk about gratitude as worship. Also, some specific ways they incorporate thankfulness and gratitude into their daily rhythms. In an effort to personalize this practice of gratitude, let's consider these questions together. What does gratitude mean to you? How do you practice gratitude? What are you grateful for in this season? What does it look like to practice your gratitude out loud? What are you thankful for this year? Who in your life are you thankful for? What is a memory that brings joy? How have you seen God answer your prayers this year? Where can you see God's hand in your life? Consider what disappointment in your life this year or in your past that you are thankful for. And now let's consider together a few ways to fight for thankful. 1. Create a thankful for photo album on your phone. 2. Go for a walk and look for physical things you are thankful for or focus your mind on things you're grateful for. 3. Create a gratitude jar. Put small pieces of paper and a pen next to it, and each time you pass the jar and think of something, write it down and put it in the jar. When you're feeling down or upset, go to the jar, grab a few notes, and read them for encouragement. 4. Journal or even write on post-it notes a list of things God has done in the past that you want to remember again. 5. Consider writing God's promises that you are clinging to in the thick of things or how you see God working in those around you. 6. Take time to reflect on what God's done in and through you already. 7. Set a timer for five minutes and challenge yourself to make a list in a journal or on your phone. 8. Read A Thousand Gifts by Ann Voskamp and then begin the process of writing 1,000 things you are thankful for. Pretty sure this one will be a long-term project for sure, am I right? 1,000. Wow. 9. Look back at your calendar from the year for moments you are thankful for. 10. Write out or say prayers of thanksgiving to God for the blessings you recognize He has given you. 11. Research and memorize scriptures about thanksgiving and gratitude. And even the most difficult and trying circumstances, we see God's people give thanks. For example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul writes, Give thanks in everything, for it is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote these words in chains, in prison, as he was at the same time rejoicing in the ways God was using him. Pretty impressive mindset to consider, isn't it? Okay, friends, I know that I just shared a lot of questions and practices, so I will be sure to include these in today's show notes to allow you more time to process them in journaling, prayers, or even around the Thanksgiving table with those you love tomorrow. So, so good. Worship and warfare combine as we try to notice what God is up to and where He's moving, and then use gratitude as spiritual warfare to push back the darkness around us. Now, just to be sure we understand what I am and am not saying about gratitude, listen to this post I read on Facebook the other day from The Unraveling by Kelly Bachara. She said, All throughout November, we see a thousand reminders to be grateful. It's easy to bypass. The message of gratitude can feel stale. But gratitude can get a bad rap when it's misunderstood and misconstrued as the same type of thing as toxic positivity. Toxic positivity is when we push away and avoid negative thoughts and emotions, even when they are necessary to process through. Toxic positivity can sound like look at the bright side when that what someone really needs is a safe place to grieve and to be honest. 
It can take someone's genuine and valid feelings and shut them down and tell them to pretend it's all okay. Sometimes things aren't okay, though. Sometimes things are far from it. Gratitude, however, requires no avoiding. It can stand right next to pain. Sure, gratitude can be thanking God for the new home and job promotion or the new love. Or it can be crying through the pain, acknowledging the hurt, yet still intentionally looking for the glimmer of goodness that exists in the world. Like your friend or family member who stays up late to talk to you. Or the beautiful sunset that feels like God himself is whispering, I'm here. Or the comfortable bed you can crawl into. Or the heart that somehow still continues to beat, even though it feels like grief or fear might crush it. I'd argue that gratitude is actually at its most powerful when it's accessed amidst suffering. How would we know what's good if we only ever knew good and easy? So through this season, I pray you'll be honest and address the hard stuff inside. I hope you'll allow yourself and others room to feel without it being hushed. I pray you'll simultaneously be able to gaze upon the things that flicker a spark of hope in your heart and remind you that there is more than what life feels like today. It can be both. Oh, friends, I don't know about you, but I do know that my heart and mind so understand and deeply resonate with Kelly's words. Beautiful. Just beautiful. Now let's begin to transition our Thanks Miss conversation from Thanksgiving to Advent with this excerpt from Ruth Jo Simon's recently released Advent devotional titled, Emmanuel, an invitation to prepare him room at Christmas and always. However, as a quick side note before we hear Ruth's words, if you don't already have an Advent resource, or even if you do, I would highly recommend getting your hands on this one for study in December. What I've read so far has been so, so good. Trust me on this one. But don't worry if you don't have a chance to order it because I'm sure you will hear more excerpts in our upcoming Advent episodes of OOBT in December. Gosh, I just can't get over how thankful I am for Emmanuel, God with us, in the Christmas season. Well, truthfully, every day of the year, such a gift. Ruth begins on day 16, titled Thanksgiving. Have you noticed how easy it is to complain, feel discontent, or struggle with gratitude during the Christmas season when we've just spent deliberate time giving thanks a few weeks earlier on Thanksgiving? If it feels like being grateful takes earnest effort, it should. Because of sin, our hearts are hardwired for self-centeredness and idolatry. Left to ourselves, we will always think we are lacking and don't have quite enough. When we notice someone else's holiday decor, when a friend or sibling receives a gift we wish was ours, when another family's photos look blissful, while we are struggling in our own homes. We are not called to fake a grin through the aching in our hearts, but we are called to set our hopes on Jesus, the giver of all that we need. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11, it reads, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. When we place our attention on all that's been granted us through Jesus, our hearts change. A response to God's gift with thanksgiving redirects our hearts and minds. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 say, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace on earth. The peace we all say we want at Christmas and year-round is a gift that comes through trusting Jesus to provide what we cannot. True peace with God is the good news of the gospel, but continuing peace of mind, the peace that surpasses understanding, is a byproduct of trusting God through prayer and thanksgiving. Paul tells us in Colossians that this kind of thanksgiving can abound in our lives. How? 
How can we abound in thanksgiving when we are so aware of the many deficiencies, difficulties, and disappointments in our lives? Let's look again at what Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Ah, there it is, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. Our response of thanksgiving increases only as our roots and the truth of God's Word deepen. Thanksgiving is like the shoots and branches from a plant firmly rooted in the good news of the gospel. So as the Advent season stirs up gratitude for family, friends, and our many good gifts, let the abounding in thanksgiving Paul speaks of result from being rooted in faith in Jesus Christ, the Jesus who didn't merely come as a baby, but delivered as Savior of the world. When our hope is secure in Jesus, we can give thanks in any season. Listen to that last part I read once again. When our hope is secure in Jesus, the Jesus who didn't merely come as a baby, but delivered us as Savior of the world, when our hope is secure in Him, we can give thanks in any season. Amen and amen. Okay, so right about now you may be wondering exactly what is Advent and why do so many celebrate it even? Advent is defined as coming or arrival and as a season of waiting and longing even for the promised Savior and Messiah, for Jesus. Advent begins the fourth Sunday before Christmas and goes until Christmas Day. This year, Advent begins this coming Sunday, November 27th. Advent challenges us to focus on Jesus in the weeks leading up to Christmas. We remember what it was like to wait for Jesus' first Advent on earth, His coming as a baby in Bethlehem. And Advent is also the season when we wait for Jesus to come again to our world and make everything right. His future return as a King of Kings is promised in the book of Revelation. We are people who live between these two Advents who are living in the already and the not yet. Hang with me for a minute, friends. This reminds me of another thought I have often had about gratefulness that ties right into our discussion about Advent here. Each of our lives is different, and we all go through different circumstances, but waiting comes to us all. We must learn how to wait well and make the most of the season we're in as we anticipate the next. In between the now and the not yet should be gratefulness, my friends. And I'm continuing to learn that gratefulness is key to waiting well, because who we become while we are waiting is as important as what we are waiting for. Truly, those from the Old Testament times who were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah waited and trusted God in their wait. Imagine the gratitude they felt when Jesus finally came. The same is true for us as we wait for Jesus' second advent as well. And while we are waiting on God, we are waiting with God. God with us is there the whole time. Now that truth is worthy of our gratitude for sure. Continuing on, listen to this perspective from Darina Lazo Gilmore Young, as found on Dayspring's website article titled, Embracing Grief and Glory Through the Holidays. It reads, I still remember our first Thanksgiving after my husband Eric Lee died. My family tried to hold it all together. We tried to stay the course with certain traditions, but it was clear everything was off kilter. He wasn't there to run the turkey trot. He wasn't wearing his silly apron in the kitchen helping me chop up butternut squash for the soup. He wasn't there to say the Thanksgiving blessing prayer. We tried to make conversation on the table, but it felt strained, awkward, even empty without his presence. Looking back, I wish I spoke up when things felt wonky. My heart was heavy, but I couldn't push to find the words to articulate it. As a newly single mama, I was cracking inside for my three girls who were without their gregarious daddy. I saw my family stumbling through the holidays as our gatherings lacked his leadership, but I knew I could never fill his shoes. Now I know it takes time for a family to recalibrate when someone dies. We need to blanket ourselves and others with grace. We need to make space for the emotions and the grief. We need to give ourselves permission to throw out 
or reinvent some of the traditions for the sake of our souls. Since Eric Lee soared to heaven, I have learned to carve out intentional time to cherish his memory with my girls. That first Christmas without him, we ended up reimagining some of our traditions. Eric Lee would always wear a Santa hat while we decorated the house. Now my new husband, Sean, or one of my daughters, owns the hat. When we decorate our tree, we take time to linger over the ornaments and share stories about him as we hang each one. It's not the loud, festive tradition we once had with Christmas carols blaring in the background with Eric Lee's blazing voice, but it's our own way of including his memory. I know many of you may be tiptoeing into this holiday season feeling raw and vulnerable. That miscarriage you experienced a few months ago, that recent cancer diagnosis, that child estranged from your family, the death of your spouse or grandparent, the unspeakable injustices raging in our world, all these griefs weigh heavy on your hearts. This is not the time to plaster on a cheery face, to go through the motions and shut down our emotions. This is not the time to turn away from our grief. It's time to draw close and offer the present of our presence to each other. This is a time to muster up the courage to sit together, to weep with each other, to listen to each other's stories, to rejoice in new beginnings and the unexpected gifts. Friends, let's vow to lean in to embody Emmanuel for each other. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Tomorrow, you may be throwing a football in the front yard or sitting down at the table with family to carve up a turkey or to feast on Grandma's famous pumpkin pie. Our family will celebrate our seventh Thanksgiving without my beloved in heaven. We are deeply grateful for all the things God has redeemed. I can honestly say that joy tips the scale more often, outweighing the sadness in our home. That's the truth. What's also true is that sometimes the tears still spill over, the memories overwhelm, and grief sashays into the room when we least expect it. And that's okay, too. We are ready in our hearts for this wild dance. I'm starting to believe this dance is the way to embrace the holidays. I could sit on the sidelines and fake it, or I could jump into the dance whirling with joy and pain, memories and merriment. Friends, it's normal for the holidays to hold both a tinge of grief and a taste of glory. Like in the birthing process, pain often precedes the joy. Mary endured painful contractions so that the Messiah Jesus might enter the world. The baby wrapped in swaddling clothes was wrapped in the paradox of death and life from the very beginning of the story. God knew he was sending his son to earth as a baby born to die so that we all might live. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. To fully discover the abundant life Jesus gifted us, we have to embrace the pain with the joy, the bitter with the sweet, the grief with the the glory. He continues to show me his glory shines in every dark corner, in every cold stable, in every rough manger. I don't know about you, but I personally found her words so comforting, especially in this new season of grief I find myself in. Let's listen again to a few of her words. This is not the time to plaster on a cheery face, to go through the motions, and to shut down our emotions. This is not the time to turn away from our grief. It's time to draw close and offer our presence to each other. This is the time to muster up the courage to sit together, to weep with each other, to listen to each other's stories, to rejoice in the new beginnings and the unexpected gifts. Friends, let's vow to lean in together to embody Emmanuel for one another. Holy goodness gracious, that is good. Let's be Emmanuel, God with us to each other. We are all walking through such varied seasons right now, but one thing is certain. God is with us and involved in all of it. As we declare our gratitude out loud to one another, in our laughter and lament, our worry and worship, and as we choose to see how God's goodness intertwines in the midst of our grief, there we will find grace for ourselves and for one another as well. 
suffering and celebration, gratitude and grief. We must believe and trust that both can and do exist at the same time in our lives. A posture of gratitude in all these things can shift our perspective and our hearts to see God in the present moments of our lives. In suffering, pain, and grief, in dealing with annoyances and inconveniences, in waiting for hope and good news, we can still practice being thankful. This mindset has the power to change our groans to praise and to make us aware of God who is always with us. Amazing. Just amazing. Now, before we end our time together today, I want to have us camp for a bit longer on the idea of thankfulness as worshipful warfare, becoming a student of God's faithfulness, becoming aggressively grateful. When I was recently considering gratitude, this question keeps coming to mind. How can we practically think through being thankful beyond Thanksgiving and on into the upcoming Christmas season, a season that is often so very hurried and busy, especially if that is not where we are at in our lives emotionally, physically, spiritually, or even relationally right now? If we were being honest, we may be wondering, how do I give thanks to God when I don't even really know exactly what it is in my life right now I have to be thankful for? Now that's real life right there, my friends. What we must learn, though, is how to give thanks because of who God is and what He did for each one of us through sending Christ at Christmas time, rather than what we see and experience in our current circumstances. Choosing to be intentionally thankful for God's unfailing love, for His promises fulfilled, for His presence with us in the waiting. During this season, we truthfully have the ultimate reason for thankfulness, that God sent His Son as a baby born in a manger who grew and lived the perfect life we could never live, died the death we deserve to die, and raised from the dead on the third day to offer us a relationship with God that was otherwise impossible for us to have. And this all began at Christmas. Wow. Because of all of this, we can thank our way forward in defiance of whatever our life circumstances might look like right now, a defiant joy, a defiant thankfulness that we fight for. So when life is not working the way I wish it would, it is an invitation to choose to be thankful for what I know is true about God, His faithfulness, His steadfast love, and the undeserved gift of Jesus in the manger. This doesn't mean that we have to thank Him for our hard circumstances, but we can certainly thank Him through them and be on the lookout for all of His blessings in the midst of it all. Thank you, God, for being good and for being with each one of us in the hard. Emmanuel, God with us. I would encourage each of us to press pause right now and take some moments to fight for thankful in prayer, to count our blessings this Thanksgiving season, to name them one by one and thank God for all He has done and continues to do in our lives, to allow our gratitude and grief to exist side by side in this season and in the days to come. As we are drawing this episode to a close, please be sure to tune into the next couple episodes as we take a closer look at multiple themes and scriptures related to Advent. I am oh so thankful for Christmas, for Emmanuel, for God with us. I can't wait to share more with all of you as Christmas really is my most favorite time of the year. Truthfully, Jesus' birth actually points us to the truth that having God with us all year long is Christmas's most incredible gift. Oh, friends, you sure don't want to miss out on any of December's OOBT episodes. Before we wrap up our time today, I just want to candidly express to all of you how much it means to me, on a deeply personal level, that you showed up today to listen to my hopefully understandable thought processes as my family and I are reeling from the death of my dad. I am honored to study scripture, learn more about the character of God, and look for Jesus is found throughout it all in the Bible alongside each of you. From this episode forward, I am not only answering a God-given call to create a Bible study podcast, but am now also honoring my dad. A man who not only chose to be my dad for the last 40 plus years of my 46 years of life, 
but also chose to believe in this God-sized dream by supporting its creation. Thanks, Dad. Today's episode is dedicated in your honor, as are all the rest of the OOBT episodes to come. I love you. Many thanks for liking me, Dad. (laughs) This is M. Faring, and I can't wait until we open our Bibles together next time, my friend.